0: Welcome to Coffee with Kim. I'm Kim Kelp and every week you and I sit down with fascinating, smart and talented leaders, CEOs and founders so that we can copy their homework. If someone knows how to do something really well, I wanna know what it is and exactly how they're doing it. Get ready for aha moments, gems of wisdom and little known tips and tricks that we can steal and use in our own lives. If you want to join these conversations and ask these experts, your own questions, no point in just me having all the fun. Join us on Wednesdays at 1 PM Eastern live over on LinkedIn. Happy
1: Wednesday, happy favorite day of the week. I am. So excited that you are joining today. If you haven't already, say hi over here in the chat, let us know where you're coming in from, maybe what's in your cup. I would love to get to know you a little bit more. I'm coming in from West Palm Beach, Florida, and today I have some green tea in my cup, so don't worry. I'll go first, but let's have it be, we can have it be your turn now, a little bit of your turn. I'm so excited that you're joining today. I'm excited that you join every week. If you're new here, just know we do this every single week and every single week. It is super fun because as we said in the intro, we meet all these interesting people. We copy all their secrets. We implement them. We get better. It's it's a win-win. It's a win-win all around, and we also get to meet interesting people, which is why the chat is kind of where, where the party's at, if you will, but I'm really excited about this week's guest in particular because not only is she a very, very dear friend, but she is an insanely accomplished entrepreneur, executive she has a lot of things going for her. Let's just say there's a lot of commas when you start talking about all the roles that Vanessa Van Edwards does. So hopefully you got a chance before this to do some Googling on Vanessa. As you know, we like to jump right into the good stuff. So if you were hoping for those basic questions of like, how did you first start? You're not going to get that here. That's what Google's for. We don't need the basics. You can Google the basics. What you can't Google is the good stuff. And that's why we're here. So Hopefully you have already done your Googling on Vanessa. If you have, then you already know that she is an insanely accomplished New York Times bestselling author with her first book, Captivate. She also has had TED Talks, really viral YouTube videos where she has had a loyal following for over a decade on that platform. In addition to her other robust socials and of course her main labor of love, Science of People, which is sort of exactly what it sounds like. It's the science of all of us. It's the science of people. She studies who we are, what we do, and why I was so excited for her to come on board, especially as we get into like Q1 of this year, is because as we've talked about in previous sessions, we all have these really big goals, you've probably done like your vision board or maybe your New Year's resolutions. You have some goals for yourself for 2022. And you are probably well on your way to accomplishing a lot of those, which is great. But even if you are on your way to accomplishing those goals, there could be sneaky little things that are stopping you that you might be doing or you might not be noticing what's happening around you. And so that's when I was like, we need this because we need to know what sneaky things might be derailing us from our big 2022 goals from our big dreams and ambitions that we have for this year. And it dovetails perfectly with Vanessa's new book called Drumroll, Please. I can't actually do a drum roll, but just imagine a drum roll in your head. It is called Cues, which is exactly that. It's all of these little cues that we give off all the time. I'm sure she's going to have a whole litany of things that I've done in this intro, maybe to school me about, but it's all these little things that we do. And so I thought she would be the perfect guest to come on, tell us a little bit about her book, tell us cues that we're doing, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. So wherever you are in the world, please raise your coffee cup or your wine glass or whatever else you got and help me welcome Vanessa to join us for coffee.
2: Cheers. Cheers.
1: Cheers. How are you?
2: Good. I like to be a multi-comma person. I was like, oh, like, you know, tress commas is my <laughs> exactly. You're I
1: like author, last... comma, TED talker, co- you have a lot of commas.
2: I like it. I like it so much. <laughs> That's a great cue. By the way, there's like cues in everything, commas, fonts, colors. I mean, do you know? Oh, I, I'm I'm I hope I can, it's okay. Can I do a quiz first? A little game uh, play games. I love quizzes and I love games oh. as you know. So okay, let's do it. Okay. What do you think is the least funny font?
1: What do I think
0: is the least
2: funny font? Yeah. And it's, I didn't there's know actually you could have funny fonts. There are researchers who have looked at font's personality. Yes. Even fonts have personality. So least funny font, happy to take guesses in the comments too.
1: I would say, okay, wait, everyone else can give their guesses, but I would say for me, my guess is going to be... I feel like, what is that? Sans, sans serif?
2: You're so close.
1: You're so close. Am I really? Okay, because sans serif just means like, I don't know, it has those sharp edges. It means like like we're down to business. It looks like Michelle is saying Ariel. Shelby's also saying comic sans.
2: Although I said sans serif. That's like a different sans. It's a different sans, sans, but this is the irony. The least funny font is called comic sans. Right? It's comic (gasps) sans. That's the irony. Comic Sans is the least funny font. So if you're trying to be funny, do not use that font. Do not use that font. Mm-hmm. In, okay. What if that's like your default font? You better change that. What? not if you have a serious brand. I think this is the biggest thing no, with cues true. is people think that there are right cues and wrong cues or better and worse. But I'm like, no, no, it really depends on your brand. Like let's, if you're a comedian, no, you shouldn't right. use Comic Sans, right? It's its an unfunny font. Your, your font's going to be working against you, but if you have a really, you know, serious business and you don't want to be funny, maybe use Comic Sans, right? Like, my 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 husband hates Comic Sans so much. When we got pregnant, someone got him a shirt that said "New Daddy Loading" with like a loading bar. You know? <laughs> I know. We love. I. <laughs> That's kind of cute. It's. So I thought it was adorable. I was like, "This is a great shirt," and he goes like this. And it's a loading bar. My my husband's kind of like techie, so he goes through like this. I don't wear shirts with Comic Sans. I was like, cause it was, it was in the Comic Sans font because it was a funny shirt, but because it was in the wrong font, he wouldn't wear it. Mm-mm. I mean, listen, it's a cue. He knew, he's like, if I wear this shirt I'm giving off a cue Ellen about says, me. Papyrus irks me, Papyrus irks me. Yes, yeah, see some people just have like a thing against certain fonts, but this is what I'm saying is these cues are lurking in the smallest of your decisions right? Like from the font you use on your website to the font that you use um, when you're typing out a report to the font on your slides, that is going to change people's perception of how they process the information.
1: Which is wild when you think about how quickly our brain takes those. And and spoiler alert, you still should buy the book, but like, we're going to get into some spoiler alerts that are in the book. But one of the things that I, and by the way, the book's not out. Sorry. Hashtag sorry. I got to read but but it's it's coming out soon. I'm not spoiling too, too much. But no, one yeah, of the fascinating 13 days, parts. 13 days, it's coming. 13 <laughs> days, 13, 13 days, but who's counting, right? Yeah, yeah, you. Um, okay, one of the things that I thought was so interesting in the book. Sorry, guys, I got to read an advanced copy, but you can also read it in 13 days. But one of the things I thought was really interesting was the fact that you and your team had, had kind of dug into the research so much about the cues that we pick up sort of without even realizing it, that like our monkey brain from back in like caveman days registers things. And we can't even really articulate why that person is charismatic or why that person gives us a bad vibe. We just know. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me was really surprising. So I'm, I'm curious, did you have some, some like hypothesis, like where you're like, I think this is happening and then we're going to dig into the research? Or did you dig into the research and just sort of uncovered it? And you're like, oh, we had no idea.
2: You know what? The funny thing is I had a problem that I was looking for the answer to. And the problem was I would be walk into a meeting in a pleasant mood and then I would like walk out totally drained. Or I had certain people that when I was around, I just was like allergic to them. Like I was like, we're not on the same page. I cannot seem to speak the same language. And so I had all these like puzzles in my life where I'm like, why do I dread this person? Or why is it that in this meeting, my I just could not get the energy. I felt totally burnt out. Or why is it that some people tend to overwhelm me where I get in my own head? So I had that puzzle and I was wondering, I said, it has to be something I'm not realizing that my subconscious picking up on, but I'm not realizing it because my body is noticing something. And there was a study that totally changed the way that I communicate, which um, I talk about a little bit in the book. And it was sort of, that was like the nugget, which is this very simple study. Researchers found that when you are in a room or on a video call and you spot a cue of social rejection So a cue of social rejection could be an eye roll. It could be a scoff. It could be even a dismissive tone of voice. Yeah. Great idea. Right. So those are all, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, um, those, so those are all cues of social rejection. When our brain sees one of those cues, our own field of vision increases. In other words, the cues we see not only change our feelings, they actually change our physiology. That our brain is so smart that it is constantly on the lookout for these cues. And when it spots one, it replies and responds in the way that will help us survive or socially survive, which is, if I see a cue of social rejection, literally my pupils dilate so that I can see more of my environment, what's my escape route, and who else is sending me a social cue and what should I do next? That is a game changer right i know it's like that's why we can be at a dinner and be like why do i feel like she just doesn't like me what like a, a conversation i have with my husband all the time which i'm sure kim you have as well is like does she hate me does she hate me I, I feel like she might hate me my husband's always like no babe like you're overthinking it but what i realized and that's why i wrote this book is a lot of the time overthinking Or getting in your head or feeling dread or drained that is your intuition saying i saw a cue i didn't like and i need to do something about it
1: well and it's almost i love the part of the book where you you sort of start to say hey right now your brain is seeing these cues And it's not even registering it's seeing them. You're just kind of feeling like, ooh, I don't, that person doesn't like me, or I don't like them, or something's happening. But you talk about in the book that we should actually start training ourselves. Is someone nodding when we're talking to them? Did they cross our arms? Really starting to register these cues. And I'm curious for you, because you've obviously been writing this book for two years. Do you feel like now you can walk into any room and you're like, bam, bam, bam. Like saw that cue, saw that cue. Like have, do you feel like after doing this, you yeah. can become an expert at cues? At can, can we become experts if we practice enough?
2: Yeah. So this is my, this was my backdoor to confidence. And what I mean by that is like, I'm a socially awkward person. I, you know, struggle with a lot of social anxiety. You always say that Vanessa, but I, I, I just am. disagree. I, I know. know. That's because I have cues. I know I know what cues I should not do and I know what cues okay. I should do. That's what <laughs> I know I know my social ticks. like I know what I do physically and vocally vocally when I am feeling awkward and anxious. so I know not to do those and I also know what cues I can use that I feel comfortable with and make me feel better. So and for so many years, I was told just be yourself. It's like, what does that mean? Like, just, just be more confident. I'm like, how am I supposed to be confident if I'm scared? So I had all this like, well-meaning, but terrible advice. And I could not find my way to confident. You know, what I mean? it's like, it's smile more like, <laughs> like that also doesn't look great. So what my, my way into confidence, and I think that for professionals who are watching, who are like, I know my stuff. I know my ideas are great. I just don't know how to present them. There are 96 cues, 96 cues. And even if you learn 30 of them, I find that those cues are incredibly empowering. It is kind of like the bam, bam, bam. It's like, okay, I have an idea. I want to watch walk into this presentation, or I want to walk into this pitch, or I want to walk into this party, and I wanna be confident, I wanna be warm, I wanna be likable, and I wanna be capable. I know exactly what to do with my hands, my posture, my voice, and my words to come across in that way. And so that is how I've finally been able to feel some confidence is I do believe that each cue you learn is like adding a tool to your tool belt. It's like, okay, there's nodding. Got it in my tool belt. Okay. There's the, there's the flex lid cross. Got it there. Okay. There's my fronting. Got it. Like every cue that I've been able to adopt, I think is very empowering. And so I've seen that with students as well, that every single one they have, it's like more tools they can use.
1: And then do you think that everyone I love this question from Rachel, which is really does everyone see the same cues or is it one of those things where it's like, okay, 98% of us, we can see things like arms crossed, obviously, or we can see things like rolled eyes. But does everyone see the same? Are are there some that everyone sees and then you're like, okay, well, 99% of the people they always miss this one.
2: Yeah. OK, so good question. So there are universal cues and there are also cultural cues, right? So mm-hmm. the universal cues instinctively as humans, we know they mean the same thing. So, for example, instinctively, most humans know that when someone wants to make eye contact with you, they are trying to engage, right? So even if we yeah. ignore that cue, we know that if someone's trying to engage us, they rate eye contact and if we still won't engage, then we raise our eyebrows, right? And literally, they found that universally, Raising eyebrows is an intention to communicate. That's what that means. So if you're across a crowded bar and someone goes, you know what they mean, right? Like, you know, you might ignore it, right? You might ignore it and not see it. But we instinctively know that uh, many of the cues I teach are universal. However, there are some cues that are cultural or we have trained ourselves socially to not see them or see them. For example, so when we're talking about social, Italians tend to use a lot of gestures. They've been socialized that like hand gestures are so good. Like we've got to use them. We got to use our hands. That's a social training that many Italians have had just growing up. Whereas in uh, Japanese culture, hand gestures are not as important. People aren't socialized as much to use their hands when they communicate. That's not right or wrong, but um, in Japan, people might be less aware of gestures than in Italy, where people are more aware of gestures. So first there's that, is that there's cultural and social ways that we might emphasize or de-emphasize. I'm using a lot of hand gestures, right? Like I have a little Italian in me, okay? Um, the, (laughs) the The other thing to think about here, and this is where I think it gets really interesting, is some research is now looking at personality type and that our personality type, is like a lens or a filter for the kind of cues we see. For example, uh, there are five main personality traits in the academic research. They're openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, commonly found, known as ocean. Uh, my favorite is neuroticism. And that's because neuroticism can act like, um, I, I, this is, I hope this is, I, can help, I, I don't know if I can say the word poop. Am I allowed to say that word?
1: Yeah, that, you definitely yeah. can. I said fart the other day on a live, so and then I, mean, I people didn't get really nasty
2: emails, emails. So no, oh, I, I, think I put, liked it. Oh, I put fart in a newsletter like five years ago, and I got like complaints. Like people were like unsubscribing.
1: Really? Oh, I actually put fart in a newsletter last week too, but no complaints. You well, people maybe, were very
2: excited by that. Maybe that says something about my audience. <laughs> we're, we're, we're tangenting like hard, but I'm going to bring us back, which is yeah. So you know, rose colored lenses. Right? Rose-colored lenses, so you look at everything yeah. with a rosy color, more optimistic. I, th- I also argue that there's poop colored lenses, which is like everything sort of has like a negative angle. So one early research is that people who are neurotic, this is me. So neurotics uh, typically, are... <laughs> we're worriers. Why are you laughing? That's real. <laughs> I am. I'm so neurotic. I would, yeah, you're pretty neurotic actually. <laughs> Like, why are you laughing? I'm actually, crazy. I'm agreeing yeah. with that. I'm actually agreeing with that. Yeah, I'm neurotic That's for true. sure. That's for sure, for sure. Kim and I hang out a lot, so you know this. That's yeah. true. That's true. That's a fact. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you for agreeing with me on that. So high neurotics. So if you're high neuroticism neurotic is sort of a bad word and I want to de-stigmatize it. Neurotic, it just means that you um, tend to worry. You tend to, it takes you a little bit of a longer time to calm down if you're anxious or nervous. Um, it means you can have bigger mood swings. Okay. So that's high neurotic. People who are high neurotic often misinterpret neutral facial expressions as negative. So here is where this is really important and why Rachel's lovely question is so accurate is as a high neurotic, when I learned this about myself, it was like, it was like a light bulb. I was like, this is why I tend to think people are always angry at me. This is why learning cues is so important. I now know exactly what a negative facial expression looks like. So I no longer misinterpret negative neutral cues as negative. And so another way that I've been able to help my socially anxious students is here's what negative is. Here are literally the 12 danger zone negative cues you have to know. These are negative. This cue doesn't mean negativity. This cue doesn't mean shame. This cue doesn't mean guilt. And so in a way, I think that learning the cues and having a language for them prevents false negatives or false positives.
1: When you actually see, so I know you're saying sometimes neurotic people can interpret something as negative, but it's not actually negative, but you just think something's negative. But if you are actually- If you yourself are giving negative cues and maybe yes. you don't even realize it, do you feel like this book is going to be that sort of eye-opening aha moment for a lot of readers who might not, they might pick up the book thinking, well, I'm going to learn these cues to, I don't know, be better at to work help others, yeah, to help others, right. but, but actually they learn a lot for themselves.
2: Okay. So that's like my secret mission. So Right. See, it's not really a secret because I'm talking about it right now, but right. Yeah. there are two sides of cues. Most people, I think most people are going to pick up the book to decode. Exactly. Right. what we said. They're going to pick up the book thinking, I want to decode my boss. I want right. to decode my clients yeah. or colleagues. Cool. Yeah. Decoding yeah. is great. The secret superpower is actually encoding. So decoding is interpreting and reading the social signals being sent to you. Very empowering, very powerful. Encoding is you being in control of the social signals you send to others. That is like the sweet spot. So first we have to decode. That helps us learn the cues. I think spotting is the easiest way to learn them. The second thing, and one of the exercises I give in the book, which I'll share right now, if you're willing to do this, here's my challenge. After this coffee, not now, don't do it now. After the coffee. One is I want you to learn your lying tells. I think a super important piece of information that every person on this planet should have for themselves is you should know your tells. You should absolutely know what happens when you're guilty, when you're lying. So to do that, and I have such as in the book, if you want to kind of do it more slowly, but very simply open up your webcam. I want you to share two truths and a lie to the webcam. You could even do like five truths and a lie. I want yeah. you to deliver them to the camera as convincingly as possible. And then I want you to rewatch your lie and see what do you give away? Do you mm-hmm. lip purse? Are you higher? We uh, played lie detection in our lab. So in our lab, we had hundreds of our readers submit lie to me videos. And then we coded them, looking for patterns. We wanted to know, you know, what do people do when they lie? Can you guess that? I think you might have already read this in the book, but let's pretend that you didn't. What do you think is the number one thing we saw on the lies? The biggest tell? You look,
1: you look up and to the right, right?
2: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. I, th- I thought that was the A-Rod example. That's, no, that's nodding. A-Rod um, nodded. He, nod- he nodded. But that was a good guess, Kim. I really liked your guess. I love that enthusiasm. Okay, okay, okay. No, you did so close. It was so close. So A-Rod, incongruent nodded. You're absolutely right. So um, um, Alexander Rodriguez, when he was asked about doping. Oh, Haiti, right, right. Katie Kirk asked him and he said, um, so yes, in in Western cultures, this is slightly different in India, Pakistan and Bulgaria, they use nodding differently. But in the other cultures, uh, an up and down nod is yes, and a horizontal nod is no. And so when he said, um, I don't dope, he nodded yes. Um, So it was incongruent nod. So that's a really good one. That's a very common one. That was a very good guess. The actual answer for us was that we found that people use the question inflection on their lie. Oh, right. Yeah, so tip, they yeah. would. So they would say, um, "I love dogs." My middle name is Lynn, and I'm a vegetarian. Like I the up speak. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, yeah. when we lie, we ask the lie. So um, the reason why that's important is because uh, if you know what you do when you lie, you can hear yourself and be able to correct better. And I don't want you to be a better liar, but I do think that you should know what your tells are. The second challenge I want you to give yourself is I want you to record your end of a next important meeting or an important pitch. So this could be a Zoom call, or you just put up your camera when you're doing a presentation. And I want you to begin to code what you do. And then look at the cues in the book and know, are these danger zone cues? Are these charisma cues? Are these warmth cues? Are these competence cues? That is the only way we can know what we do, because it's very hard to see ourselves. Even now, even on video, it's hard to diagnose What are the cues we're sending to others that form their impression of us?
1: Well, and I think I love that Nathan's like, I'm surprised. Trust me. I had about 10 of those moments just in the first chapter of reading the book, because I think it's one of those things that why do you think that we don't talk about this enough? Or why? Because I feel like when you, whether it's middle school or high school, you know, we're taught to look people in the eye or say please and thank you. But we're not taught pretty much any of these cues and yet they determine so much for us. So what, where do you think that that gap is or why do not you think that people are, are learning about these things?
2: Oh, yes. So I think that um, we have a myth, a myth that um you're either born with it or you're not. This is the myth I grew up with by the way. So I was yeah. raised thinking, well, you either have social skills or you don't. You either have charisma or you don't. And the next pervasive myth, which is the one that I'm trying to bust with my books, is that you can't learn it. But yeah, you can't either born with it or you're not or maybe kids will learn it by osmosis, right? There was like mm-hmm. this weird belief that like, you know, in school I think I had, you know, thousands of hours of math and history and science training very great very important and i think we had one one hour session once a semester on life skills like one like one one hour session where they were like yeah. when someone wants to hug you you can say <laughs> no or yes like that was like the, that was the life
1: skill yeah, i learned yeah so it's I like balancing they're... a checkbook you never learn to do that but like we know how to do like trigonometry I don't get it. I, I don't think
2: I know trigonometry. At one point, maybe I did. But yeah, it, it's exactly. So I think that one, here's the first myth I want to bust. Anyone, anyone can learn to be charismatic. In fact, the research shows that most highly charismatic people have developed it over time. There is a segment of the population that they're just like out of the womb, just like, like they're just like born charismatic. It's so a very small, very small. Can you just imagine like a baby being like, I'm here. I'm the next president. Like, like there are naturally born charismatic people, but most highly charismatic people that you see in the media, actors and actresses, athletes, they have developed it over time. So that's the first myth is anyone can learn it and it can be learned. The second myth is we do not learn social skills by osmosis. The prevailing thought in a lot of schools is, ah, school is for technical skills, that kids will learn social skills on the playground. Well, so, yeah, that's yeah. why we have recess, which actually, that's why they have recess. Here's the problem, is for people like me, so I'm not an extrovert, I'm an introvert ambivert, right, like on that line. And by the way, most people are ambiverts. Most people are not true extroverts or true introverts. Well, ambiverts, if we have one bad social experience at a school dance or at recess or at sleepaway camp or in carpool, that can create social scar tissue. I use that term kind of casually, but I remember the bad social moments that I had growing up that taught me, oh, I can never do that again, right? Like I, 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 have, I had one bad school dance and like I will not go to a nightclub because of it because that created this like social learning. And so, yes, we do learn social skills by osmosis, but a lot of that is happening in a negative way where we're creating these socially traumatic, traumatic is a big word, socially scarring experiences. And then we don't learn from them. And so my hope is that I learn in a hard skills kind of way. I like formulas. I like blueprints. I like really specific cues. I used to be taught social skills in a very kind of like nebulous way, you know, be yourself, be authentic, be confident, be confident. You know, most of that was basically a nice way to say fake being an extrovert. I thought the only way to be charismatic was to be an extrovert. And that's just not true. There are multiple flavors of charisma. There is yes, the bubbly extrovert, but there's also the quiet, powerful, contemplative introvert. There's also the compassionate, empathetic healer. And so you got to find your flavor, but we just have to be walked through that. And I, I think we can do that in a, in a blueprint like very with formulas. That's probably also why I enjoy
1: baking. Because when you bake, you have to follow the instructions, as opposed yes. to people that cook and throw a bunch of olive oil. And I'm like, but how much olive oil? You're not giving me the right <laughs> amount.
2: I, I also <laughs> love a good footprint. But, but wait, but I, see, okay. A dash of public speaking skills, a dash of hand gestures, a, a cup of, of, of smiling. Yeah, like we can do that. We can do that. I need, I need, I need a blueprint.
1: Um, Okay. I love this question from Nathan. How do you define confidence versus charismatic? Which is true because I think a lot of people think of those as synonyms, like, oh, a good leader is confident, but a lot of the good leaders are also charismatic. And I think you use Jeff Bezos in the book as an example of this.
2: I do. So yes, there is a difference between confident and charismatic. And by the way, one can cause the other Right? So someone who is very charismatic can often feel confident because they feel charismatic. Someone can be confident, which can lead them to be more charismatic. So they can cause each other, but they're not the same thing. So confidence is an assuredness in your own ability, your desire to show up as you are and to know that you have worth. That is how I define confidence. Uh, that was harder for me to get. I had to really feel like I had worth, social worth. And that took me a long time. Charisma has a different definition. So the way that the research describes charisma, and I'm all about the research here, highly charismatic people, according to Dr. Susan Fisk from Princeton University, have a perfect blend of two traits, warmth and competence. That highly charismatic people, what makes them so magnetic and so compelling is that at the very same time when they're on a video call and a presentation and a pitch at a party on a date, They are at the same time signaling, I am likable, I am trustworthy, I am warm, and I'm also capable, memorable, and powerful, that they have to have that perfect balance. If you have just one, like just warmth, you're likable, but you're interrupted. You're not taken seriously. If you have just competence, that warmth, you're seen as powerful, impressive, but also cold and intimidating. Charisma is the perfect blend of both.
1: And that's, and that's really, I will say, shameless plug again, that's really what the book dives into, a lot of it. So I know that we're like touching on it. We're giving people like the appetizer, yeah. but just yeah. know there's a main course that really like sinks into a lot of this.
2: Here's the very first formula. We're talking about recipes. It's very simple. <laughs> that is the very what first formula your- of
1: the book. Can you read it? What, it just oh, says oh. warmth
2: Q's- it just says warmth cues plus competence cues equals charisma. So that is exactly the very first recipe in the book. If you want to have a recipe for charisma, it's a cup of warmth and a cup of confidence makes the perfect charismatic cake. I just did that, up. I just did that like all of a sudden, I just made that up. I like it. I like the charismatic cake. <laughs> Me too. I like cake. So yeah. And,
1: and charismatic people. So uh, very
2: much. Very much. It's a
1: one too much. Um, okay. What happens if you feel like you are practicing these cues, you're practicing the decoding, you know, you, you feel like you got it, but there's some sort of limiting belief maybe in, in yourself that you just feel like, how do I actually practice this? Because it, I know for me, I'll speak for me. I am very good at like, I'll listen to the podcast. I'll read all the books. I'll be like, yeah, I got a game plan. Okay. I'll be honest. Like Spanish, when I was trying to learn Spanish, I can Duolingo with the best of them. That little bird and I with Spanish, da, 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 da. amazing. I I am amazing at Duolingo Spanish, but when it comes to speaking it or like actually practicing it, I'm like no. So what advice do you have people who are like, I love, you know, whether it's captivate your last book or this book cues, but they get really nervous about actually practicing it, like actually using what they've learned.
2: You're actually close, uh, to the answer to this with your Duolingo, um, (laughs) example, which is that the mistake that most people make when trying on cues or when trying to be charismatic is they start in high pressure situations. They start in the situations or interactions that matter to them. I'm like, no, do not do this. Do not try on a cue with your boss. Do not try a cue for the first time in the presentation you've been working on all month. That is the worst way to practice a cue, because you're already nervous. I actually want you to think about staging your practice. Same thing with a foreign language, right? Like I teach charisma like a foreign language. I literally, in my mind, when I was writing cues, I don't even think I told you this, Kim, but when I was writing cues, I literally thought to myself, what's the foreign language book to speaking charisma? Like what's the glossary? What are the key terms Mm -hmm. you have to know? So it's very similar in that you want to stage your approach. So the very first way I want you to practice cues is actually in writing. <laughs> I know that sounds mm. crazy, but when you're writing, there's no pressure, right? You're writing an email or yeah. you're, you're writing. Some, no one's looking at you. You can use a thesaurus. You can kind of practice your words. And so the the, the the verbal section of the book. So there are four different kinds of cues, by the way: nonverbal, vocal, verbal, and imagery. Verbal is one of the very first ones, and so. When you're practicing that, just start on emails that you can take as much time as you want. Then go to text or Slack, right? That's a little bit quicker. So you have a little bit uh, less time to practice, but it's still in writing. So you could delete and erase. Then I want you to practice on the phone when no one can see you. That way you can practice your body language cues with no one seeing you. Like Get on a Zoom call and turn off your video so that you just know what you're trying with no one seeing you. Then you can try in video, then you can try in person. And those should all be with very casual people. Like colleagues you like, best friend, family member, partner. After you practice with them, then you go on to your colleague, then you go on to a client. very last step is your boss. That's boss like, that's like the end the end game. Yes, don't your boss. practice these right. Like we're, we should the way that I think we conquer limiting beliefs is we practice in scenarios with very low pressure. Because if there's a consequence to a bad cue, and by the way, there are 96 cues in the book. Some of them are going to feel terrible, right? Like there are some cues that are not going to feel like you're going to be like, this is so dumb. Like, you know, on on the book, I decided to do a steeple, right? Like a steeple is a a cue where we push our fingers together like a little church steeple. Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank loves this, right? Like he loves this cue, loves it. Some people hate it. You know who else does? (laughs) Jay-Z. Also (laughs) Jay-Z, This is more diamonds in the air, but his diamond. I don't know about that. Like this would be a little weird if Same. you were like, Hey everyone, good morning. I'd like to have a team meeting. I don't know. Yeah. That might be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. That is not one of the 96 cues. A diamond. We might have to workshop that. That might have to be in the next edition. So we might need to workshop that. So what I'm, what I mean by this is like, I would rather you try a steeple on the phone when no one can see you and be like, hmm, right. you know, I kind of like this. Like this is very centering. It's very grounding or This is, this is not me. Don't do it. Right. So of the 96, my guess, based on the readers that have already gone through the program, is like, you'll find like 50 that you like, love that you add to your repertoire and the rest you'll notice you can decode them, but they're not going to be for you. They're not gonna be for
1: you. I would I would I also forgot to mention it earlier, but I know that Vanessa is dropping so many of these sort of tips and tricks and little if you go to sendme notes.com, we will send you all these notes, you guys. We will send you all the notes. We will also send you the links to buy the book. So don't worry about like scribbling it all down. Don't don't freak out. Just go to sendmenotes.com and type in your email and we will we will do the hard work for you and we will send love you all these notes. But um, well, Shelby, I love this question. I know Shelby's Shelby's the MVP. Um, and by the way, everybody, Shelby's also the MVP today because as you might notice, we can't put your questions or comments up here. For some reason, they're not showing up because hashtag tech fails. But we're we seeing all them. of them. We, we can, can see them. See them. We yeah. just can't display them. So keep putting them in. We just can't display them. But, um, Jen has an important point about changing your cues based on if you are on stage or sort of like changing your cues, maybe if you're doing a presentation or doing something, would you say going back to your four, you know, start via email, then maybe doing a phone call when no one can hear you. And then in that space, do you feel that you now really sort of have like a, uh, a private life, Vanessa, and then like a persona. cute, enriched version of Vanessa? Like I always think about Beyonce where she has like Sasha Fierce and then like regular Beyonce. But do you yeah. feel like when people get on stage or they're going into a presentation that they should like turn on the cues and turn into like
2: superhero yes. version
1: of themselves?
2: So if it feels natural, yes. And There's actually a really great research study I talk about in the book, which I want to share here, which is researchers... Asked participants to give a short speech on stage. So, directly to Jen's question, they gave yeah. this little presentation. Then they asked the students to channel Steve Jobs. Okay. They literally randomly picked Steve Jobs and they said, We want you to channel Steve Jobs. Now, we want you to go back on stage and give a different presentation channeling Steve Jobs. They found that that immediately made them all more charismatic. So, every single time that people channeled Steve Jobs, They were more natural on stage. They used better hand gestures. They spoke for longer, so they had more comfort on stage. They looked almost like different people. And when they were asked about it, people actually enjoyed being up there more. So there's two ways to think about this. One is my ultimate goal is for you to love your cues so much that you feel charismatic on stage, off stage, on phone, on video, with your partner, on a date, with your kids, on... Like, I want you to feel charismatic with your cues all the time. And I want them to always be congruent. That is my main goal. But a bridge to that place, and I do feel like I'm finally in that place where I feel like I have the same cues, whether I'm sitting with you, Kim, at coffee, or I'm on stage, for the most part. Maybe I use slightly broader hand gestures on stage, uh, and I have some more prepared jokes for stage, but otherwise they're the same. A bridge to that is channeling, and they literally found this with the research, Channeling either your best self, so channeling your own best self or channeling your speaking role model so that if you want to be more like Beyonce where you're like taking the stage like Sasha Fierce, cool, channel her as long as that works, right? Like I wouldn't have you channel Sasha Fierce like at an accounts receivable meeting. Like no. it might be a little much if you're like, you know, like what's up everyone? I'm here. Like it might be a little, like it might be well, a much. little little much, depending on the meeting. So I would channel the person for that meeting or setting. And on stage, it can work really well. So think about who your speaking role model is, and then maybe think about channeling them if that feels natural to you. It's true. I
1: also feel like you finding the fine balance of it's going to feel a little uncomfortable. Like anytime Mm -hmm. you do something new, it's going to feel a little awkward, but also just kind of seeing what's going to be authentic to you. It's going to feel a little uncomfortable, but it shouldn't feel like, oh my God, crazy uncomfortable.
2: Exactly. And like a little bit of uncomfort, a little bit of discomfort means like you're changing maybe for the better, right? Like a little bit of discomfort is like a a workout, you know, like if you're just lifting weights and like, it doesn't feel like any discomfort at all, you're not really doing anything. If you're lifting weights and you feel like a little bit of resistance, but it kind of feels good. That means you're changing something. That means you're growing something. So that's the metaphor I use. It's like, if I'm trying out a cue and I'm like, oh, I feel like a little bit of resistance, but like, maybe that's good. I feel like, okay, yeah. like I'm going to try this on again. I love a metaphor. I just love a metaphor. So a cake, a charismatic cake or, you know, a Q workout, whichever you want. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's it's true. And I know that you bring this up in the book, which just goes to show the timeliness of the book, but to Giacomo's point about cues when it comes to COVID. So yeah. obviously a lot of the cues that we show, whether it's smiling or are now, you know, we're not showing those as yes. much because we, cause we have masks on, or I maybe can. the cues that you used to be in the office, but now we're on zoom. We're doing the zoomies. So what, what do you think are the most important of kind of these new school cues now that we are living in a a slightly maybe not so normal world than we were a couple years ago
2: so i apologize i used to have a mask up here but i got taken out so i'm just going to use my daughter's squiggly face it's like this okay we're just going to pretend that that's my mask because okay good so i I used to have a mask it's a look
1: it's giving it's giving ronald mcdonald no then i should
2: do blue hold on why (laughs) i have these in my youtube studio i don't know Okay. I don't know, but So I like it. The reason why I'm showing you this is because if you're interacting with people in a mask, one is research shows we can read facial emotions with a mask on, um, especially because a mm-hmm. lot of the facial emo- emotions happen in the top half of our face, right? So first, the universal emotion of an eyebrow raise. We can still see, intention to communicate, intention to communicate. Um, we also know that a real smile reaches all the way up into the sides of our facial muscles. So a fake smile you can't see under a mask. So right now I'm I'm fake smiling. You can't see anything. Right now I'm real smiling, Yeah, right? You can literally see the difference. So the good news is, is that thank goodness we can still read a lot of our emotions, not all, but a lot of our emotions, even through a mask. The second thing that's happening is exactly what you mentioned which is these back-to-back video calls. So the reason why this is so draining is because our brains have to work extra, extra hard to be able to read or decode cues. We're also working extra hard to encode the right cues because all we have is this much space. You can't see my body, you can't see my feet. You can't even see spatial distance between us. I can't reach out and handshake you. I can't reach out and hug you. Our eye contact is through a camera. So one is give yourself some permission that if you're feeling burnt out on video calls, it's because we're both working really hard to overcome it. The second thing is there are Things that you should do in the first 30 seconds of a video call that will make it less burnout, that will make it less of a a load. So one is right when you log in or even before you log in, you should make sure that your camera is at least three feet away from your nose. It sounds really weird. But so right now, my nose is three feet away from my camera. The reason this is important is because if I were to give my entire presentation 18 inches away, which is where most people are, this feels really invasive. In fact, we know as humans that when someone is as close, it's like, it's, you're being a close talker, you know, how horrible close talkers are where they're like in your face. I'm, I'm about just... to marry one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fernando is not a close talker. Is he? No.
1: 100%.
2: 100%. Maybe I like it. So that's why I oh, haven't it's noticed. Latin. It's the Latin. Yes. Okay, well, so if you have a, this, a, a cultural standard, right? So like there's some, these are slightly different in terms of what's appropriate, but three feet is a safe distance where you're not being a digital yeah. close talker. So that's the first thing yeah. is make sure you're at least your feet away. It also has an added benefit of showing hand gestures. So like if I'm too close, you can't really see a lot of my hand gestures, like they're off, off shot. So three feet away. Second is the moment you come on screen, I would like to see a palm. I talk about this a lot in the book. I think palms are sexy. I love a palm. I think it is the most underrated part of our body. And that is because our brain loves to see a palm. A palm means you're not concealing anything. A palm means you're open. A palm means you're acknowledging me. Hey, good to see you. Oh, hi, right? We love to be acknowledged. So I want to see your palm in the first 10 seconds of a meeting. Good morning. Hey there. This is on a video call. In person, you walk into the room. Oh, hey, good morning, everyone. Hi, right? Palm, 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 palm. So distance. Palm, and then if you can, something slightly positive. And I know that sounds kind of like a cliche, but in the pandemic, I think we've accidentally gotten used to, oh man, those COVID numbers, oh, horrible, right? It's like a default, it's like a default position. So what I would rather you do is be very purposeful with the ten words, the first ten words out of your mouth. The first ten words out of your mouth are going to set you up for success or not. So don't default, yeah. don't make them accidental. Um, So one is don't say those numbers. I also noticed every interaction in the pandemic is like this. How are you? Oh, busy, 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 good, but busy, busy, but good. Like everyone is busy and good. Like that is the answer (laughs) that everyone
1: gets, right? I'm not, I'm not busy and good. I am stressed
2: and tired. So (laughs) I don't
1: know if I'm like the remix.
2: yeah, (laughs) You're like next level. Don't be busy and good. Like don't be busy and good. If you actually are really busy, you should be asking for help. If you're going to start off a meeting by saying, I'm busy, I need help. Fine. That's authentic. That's congruent. But don't make that the default answer. If you're always busy, that's not busy. That's normal. Right? So don't make your default answer, stressed, busy, crazy, bad COVID numbers, something positive, a little positive.
1: Right. We want, we want, we want happy stuff. And I will say, I love that Scott had to jump in. He bought two copies of your book. Check, check. Back. And oh. I will answer this question for you, which is Ryan was like, are you bringing this much energy to the audiobook? I will yep. answer this on behalf of Vanessa because the answer is a resounding yes. And I will do a yeah. shameless plug that if you follow her on Instagram stories over on the IG, she actually walked us through all of the audiobook recording, doing some. Be- and I think you did today, you're standing in front of the audio studio. Like then, I don't know what today. it's called.
2: So thank recording you for that. Yes, so I try oh, to bring true. a lot of energy. I mean, I have two chapters on vocal power. I better bring the energy to my yeah. audiobook. Today we just released on the YouTube channel uh, a, a eight minute excerpt where I'm reading an excerpt from the book and it's on poker players. So if you're interested in poker, uh, that was the excerpt I chose. So yeah, you'll see the behind the scenes. We recorded it at Arlen Studios in Austin. Arlen is like where like Ray Charles, Sublime, Willie Nelson, they film in Austin. So I actually like all their records on the wall. And then of course I do the excerpt. So go check it out. But yes, I I bring my A game to the audiobook. Thank you, Kim, for that plug.
1: And and the poker stuff will be good because I know Jeff earlier was asking about poker face, not just a Lady Gaga song. But I mean, let's talk about you want to talk about poker? No, because I, we, I, we only have 10 more minutes left with you and I need not to copy your homework now. So I have to go okay. to the speed round question so I can copy it all for myself.
2: Okay. I'm not talking about poker, but I do talk about poker in the book. Kim said, no, that was a very, like, no, we're not talking no, about we that. We can't, we, we don't have time.
1: We don't have time. If you can promise me that we can do this again, then we can tra- then we can talk about it.
2: Okay. Fine. Deal. I'm ready for my speed round. I'm ready. Okay, you ready?
1: Okay. Um what I'm curious for you is you have to learn a lot for your job. Like obviously, science of people, you're sourcing through all of these studies and whatever. What is the next thing you're learning for fun? Not for work, no work learning, but for fun learning.
2: Mm-mm. I, you know, this, you already know this answer, but no one else does, which is I hired a garden mentor. Uh, so Liz Cardinal is my garden mentor, my garden genie, and she's teaching me how to garden, how to grow beautiful produce and vegetables. And that's like a very different kind of learning. So like with my hands, like learning about the earth, like growing our food, doing with my daughter. So she's learning how to like, you know, plant seeds and pick carrots. So gardening.
1: Gardening. It's a, and I actually stole your Garden Wizard, so now <laughs> I have the same Garden Wizard. So. Mean, borrowed, borrowed,
0: borrowed. <laughs> now borrowed. <laughs> You're
1: like, I yeah, you can't her. really, you can't really steal something that you already also still have. <laughs> so I borrowed <laughs> Yeah, we're sharing. I think is the right word. <laughs> sharing is a better word.
2: We share Garden. Um, okay,
1: theme. we we share we share Genie. We share a lot of things. Um, I I thought of something. I'm not going to blurt it out and say it. Um, Okay. What is something that you have started doing lately or using lately that you really love? It could be like an app or maybe you started doing, I don't know, yoga, not yoga, but something like, is there something that you've kind of become
2: obsessed with recently? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I think that I've become obsessed with my not to do list. So I'm in book launch. I'm in book launch, and like you know, book launches are kind of nuts, right? We're we're 13 days out. Who's counting? Um, and pre-orders matter more than anything. So thank you so much for everyone who pre-ordered today. They count like three copies if you ordered one. So because of that, I, there are certain things I cannot do if I want to get it all, and I can't do it. So every morning I have my to-do list, and then I make a not to-do list. So like on my mm. not to-do list might be like checking Instagram. My not-to-do list might be uh, not working on articles for next month because I just have to get this month done. So I have yes. two lists going at all time and I'm kind of obsessed with my not-to-do list because I've noticed the more specific I am about what I can't do, the more I get done on my to-do list.
1: Uh, and then do other people do the stuff that's on your not-to-do list or it just stays on your list? You just don't do it.
2: Either. If someone needs that from me, like like someone's like, uh, could you check Instagram yeah. to make sure the post is up? I'll ask my amazing assistant, Carolyn. Carolyn, right. can you go check it for me? So either it languishes in the list and just waits to be done, or it gets passed on to someone else.
1: That makes sense. Are there people that you follow speaking of Instagram, whether it's on Instagram or it could be anything, right? It could be YouTube. It could be Twitter. It could be something else, some other platform choice Mm -hmm. that accounts that you follow that just kind of light you up that you see their posts and it could, it doesn't even have to be a human. It could be a brand, like I follow, sometimes I follow like card designers, like illustrators, their stuff just makes me happy. Oh,
2: cool. Yes. I have three people who make me so happy. So, uh, Michelle Poehler, uh, hello fears. So as a, a, a neurotic, right. I like to say hello to my fears, um, and, and greet them and understand them. So, um, my friend, Michelle Poehler, I discovered her work early on and that we became friends. She conquered a hundred fears in a hundred days and videoed all of them, Uh, and she has videos of every single fear that she conquered, and now she has a beautiful, actually, I have her workbook right here. I do it all the time, so I have a workbook right here. Um, She, uh, her Instagram is all about, like, conquering your fears, um, embracing your fears, so I just, like, I always feel confident after I look at her stuff. I love Mel Robbins, because who doesn't? Uh, Mel Robbins is incredible, and I love her high five habit. She also endorsed uh, Cues, which was, like, the kind, I don't actually know her. I just, Um, sent her the book. And I said, I love your work. Would you read cues? And she loved it and she endorsed it. So, um, that was like a, a, like a life, a life moment of gratitude. And then I would say, um, just for funsies, I love, um, tanks, good news. (laughs) I love that account. It's just all good news. And I just love some good news. Yeah.
1: Have you ever seen the one? It's like a tank's good news. It's called good, good, good co
2: there's three goods in a co. Okay. I'll check it out. No, but I always need more good news. Like always.
1: It has it has all the the happy, feel good, you know, saving
2: a puppy out of a tree, the good stuff. Okay, I'm going to go check it out. Although that's Instagram is on my not to do list today. So not today. I know. I know. not today, but like in
1: <laughs> in 5 weeks when
0: the book launch is done,
1: <laughs> then I will follow that account. <laughs> then you'll follow that account. Um Okay. What, if you could give everyone a homework assignment, cause we love us some homework and it could be anything. It could be watch a certain video. It could be listen to a certain podcast. It could be sign up for a newsletter. What homework, it could be practice a certain cue. What homework would you give all of us this week to try that you think is going to make us better?
2: Okay, I'm going to do, it's a fun one, but I think it's really important, which is, I want you to do your lie to me video. So I want you to record a video of you saying two truths and a lie. And then I want you to get three people in your life to also share them with you and diagnose each other's tells. This is a really good way to bring cues to the surface, to talk about what we do without even realizing it. And it's a great thing to know with your kids your colleague, your partner, your friend. And it's really fun, by the way, like it's a really fun thing to do. So um, you can even do this on, on TikTok, I'm sure. I don't know the TikTok very well, but like, I'm sure this is a TikTok kind of a thing that you could do, or you could tag me on Instagram and do it there. Um, but two truths and a lie, and then code the videos to see what cues you're sending. It's a superpower to know what your tells are.
1: Okay, I have, this is such a weird follow-up question. I am convinced that very small children lie so well. Like, like children will have chocolate all over their face and you'll be like, did you eat chocolate? And they look you dead in the eye, dead in the eye. And they're like, no. And you see the chocolate. No. And I'm like, I no, feel Kim. like is what is up with that? Cause they do not no. give cues. I mean, the chocolate is the cue, but like their demeanor, they're like, that was not me. I did not no. eat that. Yeah. it
2: they are giving cues. You just don't know how to read them. In fact, there is a video that I'm going to show in my masterclass. So after the book launch, I have a little masterclass for everyone who bought, I'm going to show a video of a six-year-old lying. And on the surface, she seems like a really good liar. But when you know what you look for, you see the lie. So no, it just, it's because you don't realize the cues that are being sent. And I literally have a video of a girl. She has chocolate on her face. I think it's a cookie actually. And she like, and her mom's like, did you do that? And she's like, no. And you don't, Know what they are at first. And then once I point them out to you, you're like, oh what? Like I see all the cues. Okay.
1: We're we're gonna have to do that because to me, children are like little, they're like little small liars, and they're really good <laughs> at it. Because unless I see
2: chocolate, you I'm like, out, oh, I guess I don't have any. Kim, you before yeah. you have kiddos, you gotta outsmart them. You gotta know those cues. <laughs> you gotta know them. Same with Fernando. Maybe that's saying like, something about me. Maybe that's saying maybe something about my maybe you're too trusting maybe maybe. (laughs)
1: that could that maybe maybe that's why i'm bad at poker okay wait let's visit for the poker thing i feel bad that everyone's probably in the (laughs) chat like shindler finish the poker thing so okay let's finish the poker thing and then we have to let vanessa go
2: there's a lot of poker things but here's the only thing that i was going to say about poker which i think is interesting is um poker players typically try to mute their cues like they try to go as still as possible and that in itself is a cue like that in itself is a cue. And so I think what people don't realize is like a lot of leaders think they're being good leaders by under signaling, by muting their expressiveness. But actually yeah. under signaling is a danger zone cue. Under signaling is what liars do, right? Liars will also like freeze and then deliver their lie, like totally frozen. So muting is actually what you're looking for when you're playing poker too, is you're looking for sudden decrease in cues. No cues at all is in itself a cue.
1: Mm. I love, you know what it reminds me of? Did you ever play this game in middle school where you would go? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know how we worked that into the book launch, but I I like it.
2: it. Well, you know, we could do is there has to be a filter for this on like a a social media, which is like your favorite cue, you know? So it's like, what's your favorite cue?
1: Yeah. Cause that's what poker reminds me of. Like when you get a good hand, you're like, cool. But then all of a sudden you're like, don't give it away. you
2: know but muting is a cue that people notice too they notice that too exactly
1: exactly oh my gosh okay Vanessa I know you're not going on Instagram today um but if people want to connect with you or find you what platform do you do you spend time on in in normal times and where should they best connect with you
2: oh yes well thank you so uh YouTube is my preferred platform of choice I've put my first video up in November 2007, which is like insane. Um, I put a lot of my content up for free on YouTube. So we do a video every week. Some of them are 30-minute tutorials and deep dives. They're all up for free. So if you want to see some cues breakdowns, I break down the rock. I break down Britney Spears. That's That video is like going nuts right now. Our, our short on that has like half a million views already. Um, so I break down Britney Spears' cues, The Rock, Morgan Freeman, Justin Bieber, Princess Diana. So if you're just curious, um, before you even start reading for some cues, breakdowns of people I wasn't able to put in the book, like for legal reasons, I had to keep them out. So if you want some bonus content, all that's up on YouTube. If you want to read our articles and our guides or some of our free courses, uh, those are at scienceofpeople.com.
1: Ah. Oh. You are an absolute delight. I'm truly obsessed with you in, in a probably inappropriate way. And I'm not afraid to admit that.
0: Whew. That was some good stuff. Thanks for being a part of this week's coffee with Kim. If podcasts are your thing, subscribe to the show and you'll see a new episode appear next week in your favorite listening app. If you want to be a part of the conversation, join us live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern over on LinkedIn. You can RSVP at getcoffeewithkim.com. I want you to have your questions answered because why should I get to have all the fun? And let's be honest, you know how to ask some hard hitting questions. My guests and I cannot wait to meet you. See you soon.